scripture reading will come from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell upon robbers who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on by the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell upon the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. C groups are studying the parables. It was, you know, I knew that, but that was reiterated a little bit ago. I think Meredith said something about it. And I think this is the first parable we've done, isn't it? Yeah, in this Rediscovering Jesus series. So um, we're kind of, in, in looking at the parables, we're kind of entering a new place, right? Before now, the teachings of Jesus have been not stories, you know, that are like almost like fable stories. They've been a different way of teaching. But the parables are like fables, and I don't mean by that any disrespect. I don't mean that the parables are just some sort of fiction that is not that important. We're just not sure on every occasion whether or not a parable is something that actually happened to a particular person, or Jesus is telling a story about things that might have happened, and he's creating this story to make a point. But what we do know about the parables is that they're stories that make a point, right? Sometimes the parables, it seems, make more than one point. As a matter of fact, sometimes they make lots of points. On other occasions, the parables, well, sometimes they're just a little bit mysterious. We're not quite sure what point they're trying to make. And sometimes we're not quite sure exactly who the parable is directed to, right? Sometimes it seems like it's directed to this group or that group or the other group. Having said all that, what I want to say about this parable is it's not like any of that. This parable is so straightforward. It's just in your face. It's basically this. Cut to the chase, my friends. Be a neighbor. 
I mean, it's, it's totally Mr. Rogers, right? You know, the be a neighbor thing. You want to be it's Jesus just says, be a neighbor. Be good to other people. So before we start into the story, because I think it's really important to understand stories in their context, let me tell you a little bit about the story that Jesus creates. Okay? Now again, this story might have happened, or Jesus may be piecing together things that were very typical of things that did happen. And on this occasion, it certainly would have been typical for this to happen, and it might have happened with a particular name, though we don't have names. Jesus just tells the story. Um, here's a little bit of the background. This road that Jesus is talking about is a 17-mile stretch in Palestine. And it runs from Jerusalem to Jericho, or Jericho to Jerusalem. It's a very well-known route, especially back then. Okay. The other thing about this road is that the descent was from Jerusalem down and or up to Jerusalem, it was 2,500 feet above sea level. In other words, the, the grade was steep. Um, to Jericho, it was about 770 feet below sea level. So you're talking about a route, a 17-mile route, that's 3,000-plus feet steep, right? So that's quite a climb, either going up or coming down. It's, it's a tough road. And it probably was a windy road. And what is clear is that it went through lots of sort of um, caverns, okay? It was a rather hazardous road to travel. There were lots of caves on this route, um, and this road had a reputation for bandits. Because travelers would start down the road or come up the road, and there would be bandits on the hills just overlooking the road, watching for a traveler. And if the traveler was by himself, he was really in trouble, right? because uh, he could be attacked very easily. As a matter of fact, um, this road was so well known for being that kind of route that uh, by the fifth century, it had a reputation. It was called, instead of Highway 54, it was the Bloody Way. That was the name of the road, the Bloody Way, because you get beat up so often on this road. Even into the 1800s, this is roughly 1800 years after the story is told, even into the 1800s, you still had to pay safety money to local sheiks to pass through. Because if you didn't, somebody was going to get you. So you would pay safety money to the sheiks, and they would make sure, because they knew who was in the hills, that the people didn't attack you. So this is the kind of road that Jesus is talking about. Now, in this story, you've got three main figures, right? You've got a lawyer who the story is told to, because the lawyer is asking Jesus about who his neighbor is. You've got a man in a ditch. You've got a priest. You've got a Levite. And you've got a Samaritan. That's really more than three. I can't do that very well. Let's see. Lawyer, man in a ditch, priest, Levite, Samaritan. That's five. If you, if you include the lawyer that he's telling the story to, you've got five people. But really four in the story. So here we go. What about the lawyer? I love the way the lawyer engages Jesus, right? He says, um, well, Jesus, you did tell me uh, to love my neighbors. So let me ask you a question. Who's my neighbor? And, and the text is really honest about it. It says that the lawyer asked that question because he was trying to avoid Jesus's 
direct teaching, right? Um, give me the definition of neighbor. I want to know who the neighbor is, so I have some boundaries around me. I want to know who I have to serve and who I don't. Jesus, give me an out here. I'm going to interrogate you with a definition. Uh, that's typical of lawyers, right? Yeah, but it's typical of us too. Because we always want to get off the hook when a moral teaching is cutting too close to the bone, right? We want to figure out a way to avoid it. So we say, ah, will you please define your terms a little bit? It'll help me out here. So the lawyer says, uh, who's my neighbor? Now, uh, one reason he did that's because he wanted to uh, get off the hook or avoid the real interrogating point of Jesus. But the other reason is because there actually was a tradition um, among those who he would have studied in the rabbinic tradition uh, who actually was your neighbor. Or put it another way, uh, Jesus says, I want you to be good to your neighbor. And the question of the lawyer is, who is my neighbor? Because actually I have some definitions of neighbor that I work with in my, in my realm, right? Um, here's an interesting thing. In the rabbinic teaching, I don't know who he was trusting for his insight, but in the rabbinic teaching, you could find these kind of admonitions concerning helping other people, strangers and neighbors. Listen to this quote from a rabbi in the first century. He says, place your bread on the grave of the righteous, but give none to the sinners. See where the lawyer's coming from? According to my standards, Jesus, I have to be good to people who are good, not to people who are bad. If they're sinners, don't have to be nice to them. Will you please define yourself? Here, here's another quote from a rabbinic um, teacher back then. He says, give to the devout, but do not help the sinners. Do good to the humble, but do not give to the ungodly. Hold back bread and do not give it to them. That was religious teaching, at least certain rabbinic teachings at the time. So let's give the lawyer his just dues, right? He's saying, I know the rabbinic teaching, and the rabbinic teaching tells me that I give to those who are good because I reinforce good people. So who's my neighbor? This is where Jesus routinely does it again. He turns the tables on people, right? He always flips the coin, and he turns it right around, and he gives him a definition that he's not expecting at all. He gives him an unexpected answer. He gives it to him, of course, by way of a story. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And he says there was a man in a ditch. Now, if you're reading the story, you'll notice that the man in the ditch, maybe you don't notice it at first, but think about it, the man in the ditch is probably Jewish. Why? Because the Good Samaritan is a Samaritan. And Samaritans did not associate with Jews. So you've got a man in a ditch. There's the first character. He's in a ditch because he's been traveling and the bandits got him and beat him within an inch of his life and he's laying alongside the road waiting for rescue or really waiting to die. Jesus said there was a man walking along this road and he fell among bandits and he was beat nearly to death. Now, now, honestly, it was probably kind of foolish for the man to travel alone on that road, the bloody way. So he probably wasn't exercising a whole lot of good judgment, but no matter, 
Maybe there was no other alternative. Maybe he had to take the road and he had to get there and he had no way to have a companion and he took off. He's been beat up. And Jesus says, the first person who comes by is a priest. The priest is, in the lawyer's eyes, the most well-respected leader of his people, right? He would have held him up in very high esteem. So Jesus starts with the guy who's got the most high esteem in society. He said a priest came along the way. And the priest looked at him and walked on by. So you say to yourself, right? Why? Why do you walk on by? Well, one answer to that question might have been, well, the priest, he was on his way to Jerusalem to do his priestly duties. And we do know from history that there were a group of priests who left Jericho to go to Jerusalem several times a year to take care of the priesthood. That was their responsibility, not only to be a priest wherever they were, but also to go to Jerusalem. So he's about to do his priestly duty. And what we know about doing your priestly duty is you don't want to touch a dead body. That was a ceremonial kind of exercise for them. It was a, it was a law that you, you, you really did conform to. You didn't want to defile yourself with a dead body. Maybe the priest looked at the guy and he says he's dead or half dead, almost dead. Yeah, um, yeah. I won't go there. The reference to the movie. Princess Bride, right? Mostly dead. Mostly dead. Mostly dead. Yeah, mostly dead. Thank you. I knew some movie buff would jump in. He was mostly dead, but he didn't want to touch him because he wasn't sure if he was mostly dead or he was really dead. Maybe that's why. You know, but you know the problem with that? Uh, we could give him a pass there, but what we know is the priest should have known this, that under extraordinary circumstances, the rules didn't apply. Right? In other words, if there was somebody in peril or somebody who had been hurt or something like that and there was a way for you to help out, it was your responsibility to do it. Um, remember that story that Jesus tells about uh, the donkey having fallen into the ditch on the Sabbath? And he says, wouldn't you bring your neighbor's donkey out of the ditch or your own donkey out of the ditch on that day? Yeah, of course you would on the Sabbath, even though you're not supposed to work. There are rules that are meant to be bent or broken on certain occasions for the purpose of charity. So again, we can't even let the priest off the hook on that one. He just passed by. He didn't want to help. The next person that comes by, of course, is a Levite. Who's a Levite? A Levite is a person who assists the priest in the temple. So their responsibility was to take care of music, security, custodial duties, candles, incense, everything that happened in the temple, the Levites took care of that. So what about the Levite? Why didn't he stop? Let me give the Levite a benefit of the doubt too. Maybe the Levite, being a man of the world, realized the peril he was in if he were to stop. Here's the peril. This routinely happened. Bandits who were in the hills would take one of their own and put him on the road, cover him in blood, make him look like he'd been beat up by other bandits. And then a good Samaritan would stop to help. And the bandits would swoop down on the good Samaritan and take him for everything. Maybe the Levite knows this story. And he says, not sure if he's hurt, not sure if he's a legit, maybe, maybe he's abandoned himself, so he passes on by. But before we give him that pass, let's, let's at least admit this, right? 
He passes on by for one reason. If that were the situation, he passes on by for the purpose of safety. In other words, he says concerning that situation, my safety is more important than helping out this man. I don't want to take the risk. So he passes on by. Of course, the third person that passes by is a Samaritan. And the Samaritan, of course, as you know, is the most despised in that culture, the outcast. Um, you might as well have been a Gentile, probably better off a Gentile than to be a Samaritan. The Samaritan, with love and compassion, stops and helps out the man, the Jewish man. Now, if you were there and hearing this story for the first time, if you were the lawyer and you were the people in the audience, this is the place at which your jaw would drop. It does it for us because we've heard the story too many times. This is the place they would say, what? Like the twist in a plot of a movie? You've got to be kidding me, Jesus. The Samaritan? Yes, the Samaritan is the one who stops. The one who is the most despised is the one who has the most compassion. The one who reaches out reaches out by reaching up to someone who hates him. So Jesus says, who's your neighbor? There's your answer. Isn't that just a stinging way to give an answer? Right? Instead of saying, well, I'll tell you who your neighbor is. It's this person, this person, this person. Jesus doesn't say it. He just gives a story. He says, find neighbor there somewhere, fella. Make your own definition out of that story. Who's your neighbor? You know, the, the story is fascinating on a lot of different levels, but I, I want to make a few points of application. The first one is this. In this story, what you realize is that reaching out means, according to the Samaritan standards, reaching out to love someone or be compassionate towards someone who actually despises you. Being a neighbor the way you ought to be, loving the way God calls you to love. Can I put it this way? Wherever your social context, okay? You know where it is? Fraternity, a dorm, a house, a classroom? Find the person that you are utterly convinced hates your guts and love them. That's what Jesus says. Do they despise you? There's your neighbor. Love them. The guy who was in the ditch, if he wasn't in the ditch, you know what he would have called the Samaritan? A dog. You know what he would have thought of the Samaritan? Nothing. But Jesus says the Samaritan reached out to his neighbor. So the first thing we know is that Jesus' teaching tells us that to reach out to those who we like and who like us, that doesn't count. No. He wants you to take a further step. Reach out to those who despise you. Second thing we realize from the story is that reaching out involves risk, right? I, I, I mentioned the Levite might have thought the risk was too great. We don't know that for sure. I'm just sticking things in. But we know that there was a risk. And we also know there's a risk of reaching out and loving somebody who doesn't like us. 
or for that matter, even reaching out and loving someone that we're not sure likes us. Or for that matter, reaching out and loving someone that you think is your friend. Because at the end of the day, it might be unbelievably true that they'll turn on you. And you've loved them and they've not returned the love. That's risky. I hate it when that happens. You know, let me, let me just be honest. I've got a really small reservoir of love, guys. I'm telling you, I do. People who know me well, ask Josiah and Dan. They'll tell you. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm not really the loving type. There's some people, it's, it's their gift. They just love deeply. And I'm a skeptic. And I don't love deeply like I ought to. And I'm suspicious. And I want to love people who love me. I want to reach out to people who say, thank you, Bob, you are so nice. And this parable doesn't teach that. It says you need to take a risk to love somebody. Even though they might not love you. And as a matter of fact, they might even take advantage of you. Love them anyway. Third thing I think this, um, this story tells us, um, well, it's pretty simple. <laughs> it tells us who our neighbor is. Um, here's a way to define that. If you're asking who your neighbor is and you're asking for boundaries and definitions, you've already made a mistake. You can't define neighbor. You must be or not be a neighbor, according to Jesus. Jesus says, your question's wrong, lawyer. You can't define neighbor. You either are a neighbor or you're not. Don't define it like a noun. Treat it like a verb. It's your responsibility to be a neighbor. I love uh, what one uh, fellow has said about this idea. His name is T.W. Manson, and um, his words are these. Listen to this. I'll read it twice. I just think it's brilliant. Love does not begin by defining its objects. It discovers them. And while neighbor does not create love, love does create neighborliness. Love does not begin by defining its objects. It discovers them. And while neighbor does not create love, love does create neighborliness. If you love, you will be a neighbor. You'll be good even to those who are not good to you. Um, I read, you know, whenever I prepare for stuff like Dan and Josiah, I read people who have spoken about this or read about it write about it commentators and there's one old guy um, who's full of little bits of wisdom sometimes he just wears me out but every once in a while I'll read him just because he's so succinct uh, his name was Warren Wearsby and Warren Wearsby put it this way I just want to read to you what girl Warren says don't you love that name Warren Wearsby I mean, sound like an old radio preacher which he was among other things. Here, here's what Warren Wearsby says. 
to the thief, or thieves and the story. We're talking about the story now. To the thieves, he was a victim to be exploited. To the priest and the Levite, he was a nuisance to be avoided. To the lawyer, he was a problem to be discussed. To the innkeeper, he was a customer. But to the Samaritan, he was a neighbor to be saved. So isn't the story pretty clear? Who's your neighbor? Everybody. Are you supposed to reach out to? Whoever's around you. Who are you supposed to assist? The people who need it. Now I'll tell you what we do, especially in a university town like ours. We analyze continuously, right? You go to class tomorrow, they're going to analysis paralysis, right? So the first thing we do is we rush to analysis and we say, what is, what is, just like the lawyer. We start wanting to define our terms and sometimes what we do is we allow the dramatic to eclipse the real. Okay? So let me suggest, I'm just taking a wild guess here, but let me suggest that some of you at least are saying, what about that homeless guy that I walk past every day? Right? Okay, I'm not going to give you an answer to that. You know what I'm going to say? This is pretty harsh, but I can be this way. That question is avoiding the real question. You know why? Because that's a big one right in front of you. That's a huge one that you hear debated endlessly in our circles and in our community. What to do with the homeless? I'm not saying it's unimportant. What I am saying is this. The first thing we do, just like the lawyer, is we jump to some big problem. Oh, what do I do about this? Stop it already. There's somebody in your dorm. And there's not as much a question there, right? They're annoying you, right? They don't like you, correct? Treat them like Jesus would. Just start there. Start with what you know is true. And don't allow the complexity to eclipse the reality that you need to be a neighbor. I say that to you because I know the feeling. I do it all the time. I allow the big questions and the complexity to eclipse the reality that's right in front of me. I can wonder about being kind to all these wonderful people or people I don't know and I can be an absolute jerk to my wife or my kids or my colleagues. Sorry. <laughs> Who's your neighbor? Everybody. Live like it. Um, I love commercials, uh, TV commercials. These I, I'll watch TV just to watch the commercials, even before the Super Bowl start, which are some of the greatest commercials. And um, You guys are way too young to remember this, but you know the first commercial that broke down the humor barrier? I see some folks back there old enough, maybe they'll remember this. 
I mean, I know, yeah, but you're not 18 anymore. I, and so I, you know, you know what it was? It was the commercial by Wendy's, and the title of the commercial was "Where's the Beef." Now, again, you probably don't remember it, but here, here's the commercial. There's an old lady sitting at the table eating a hamburger. And as she eats a hamburger, as a matter of fact, this lady was honestly hard hearing. I mean, the person who really played the, the role, she couldn't hardly hear anybody. And so she shouted out loud everything. And she looked at the hamburger and she goes, where's the beef? Really loud like that in the restaurant to everybody. It's like, this is insulting. There's no beef in here. That commercial took off like wildfire. It sold more hamburgers from Wendy than they ever expected it to, and it broke down a barrier because it was a humor commercial, right? And since then, take a look at the commercials on TV and see how many of them are humorous compared to how many are serious. It used to be in my day they were all serious, and now there's a lot more humor in commercials. That's a sidebar. What I wanted to say was this. I love commercials that cut right to the point. And if I was going to capture a commercial to summarize this sermon related to who's your neighbor and what's your duty, you know what it would be? It's also sort of out of vogue. They don't use it anymore. It was the Nike commercial. Just do it. Stop asking questions and just be a neighbor. And if they take advantage of you, they did that to Jesus. If you do the wrong thing, it'll still be the right thing because God calls you to be a neighbor. So try it on precise. Stop thinking about it. Just do it and see what God does. How about we pray? Lord, thank you um, for giving us the grace to uh, understand um, truth like this. Um, sometimes parables and other parts of the Bible are a little mysterious and this one's just not. It's not mysterious. It's not hard to understand. It's really annoying, but we get it. So we pray that you will help us uh, to move from getting it to doing it. Help us to move from understanding to action. Uh, and we pray that, really, Lord, we pray that this is such a simple message. Lord, we pray that we will walk out of here tonight and because we heard this simple message from your word. Tomorrow, something will be different. Some act of kindness, some activity that demonstrates grace, the grace of Jesus Christ to those who are around us will happen because we've, we've looked at your word for just a few minutes and allowed it to change us. And we'll thank you for that. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, thanks, time for the band.